0: This week Collins Dictionary declared that their word for the year for twenty twenty is the word lockdown. Lexicographers registered more than a quarter of a million usages of that word this year, compared to only about four thousand the previous year. And Collins stated that this word encapsulates the shared experience of billions of people. Then there were other pandemic-related words that also made it into the top 10. Words like self-isolate, social distancing, and of course, coronavirus. Now, I don't think any of us will be surprised about this, because this pandemic has been on all of our minds. It has impacted our lives, it has dominated our thinking, and it's been the focus of many of our conversations And many of us have been watching the news daily for those daily updates about how this virus is spreading right across the world, causing so much pain and suffering and death. The Worldometer website, that tracks cases and deaths across the world. And it records that so far, something like 52 million people have been infected by this virus. And 1.3 million people have died as a result of it. So in many ways, 2020 has been extraordinarily tough. But you know folks, in another way, this is not really anything new. That's because every year, death dominates the world. This Worldometer website it actually gives a real-time count of deaths caused by a range of different issues. So you can sit and watch this website as it counts up the numbers of people who have died uh, from various causes. So according to them, so far this year 7 million people have died of cancer. A million from road traffic accidents, 4 million from smoking, 2 million from alcohol, 36 million because of abortions, and 1.4 million by AIDS. And as you look at those numbers, we need to remind ourselves that these are not just numbers, these are all human beings. They are people, they are parents, husbands, wives, grandparents, children, friends. And we all know the pain of losing people in our lives. So they represent so much loss and so much suffering. But I think there's an even more sobering reality that we need to face today. And that is, since the beginning of the world, the death rate has been exactly the same. The death rate has always been 100%. Everybody who has been born on this planet has eventually died. This is the reality that we live in and it will impact all of us. We are all living in a dying world. But our Bible passage this morning, it's a wonderful passage of scripture. It tells us the amazing truth that we do not need to despair because of all of this. We do not need to be discouraged by this sobering, difficult reality. Instead, we can rejoice in, we can rest in a sure and certain hope, even in this dying world. And we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 down to verse 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So Paul wrote this letter to a church of young believers. Remember, many of them were probably had only been Christians for a matter of months. And they, these people had repented of their sins... And they put their faith in Jesus for their salvation. And they were committed to living for Jesus, despite how much it was costing them. That's because they were waiting in eager expectation for Jesus to come back again. Paul says about them in chapter 1 of this letter, verse 9 and 10, you turn to God From idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven. But then something happened that challenged their faith. They were worried about those who have fallen asleep in him. Now in the Bible, falling asleep This is not something that we do in church. It is falling asleep as a euphemism for dying, for death. Some of these believers in Jesus had died. Now, maybe it was through illness. Maybe it was through an accident. Maybe it was actually a result of their persecution. We don't actually know. But some of them had died and that had caused some real problems for the people in this church. One of these problems was ignorance. Verse 13 of our reading, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. When people in that church died, they were left wondering, what did it mean? Was that the end for those people? Would they ever see them again? Would those people that they loved and had lost, would they miss out on Jesus coming back again? Now that kind of ignorance was understandable. Because these people had grown up in a culture with no real awareness or answers about death. Some people in that Greek culture had very kind of vague notions of a life after death. Some of them talked about the dead as being like shades, enduring a flimsy existence in a place called Hades. But many people lived without any hope beyond the grave. A typical inscription on a grave was this I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. They believed that you came onto this planet, you lived, you died, and that was the end. This was a Greek poet called Theocritus. He said this, hopes are for the living. The dead are without hope. So no wonder the Apostle Paul wrote about those people who hadn't trusted in Jesus, people who are not Christians, and he said that they were without hope and without God in the world. But Paul did not want these Christians to live like that. He didn't want them to remain in ignorance. He wanted them to know the truth. He wanted them to have certainty in the face of death. But this church wasn't only struggling with ignorance. They were also struggling with despair. Paul said that he didn't want them to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Yes, grief is natural and a healthy response death. This is what Paul knew himself. He writes in one of his letters to the church in Philippians. He writes about how worried he was when his friend Epaphroditus was sick. And he says this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 27, he was ill, Epaphroditus was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that he was so relieved, so thankful that God healed his friend Epaphroditus. Because if he had died, Paul would have been broken hearted. Paul would have been overwhelmed with grief. So Paul didn't think grief was wrong for believers at all. And of course, Jesus himself expressed grief at the grave of his friend. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept. It says in John 11 and 35. So Paul, he didn't want these Christians to stop grieving, but he did want them to stop grieving like those who didn't have any hope. He didn't want them to know, to experience the despair, the emptiness, the bleakness of those who don't know God. And so at the end of their reading, he wrote, therefore, encourage each other with these words. He didn't want these Christians to lose heart. Because of the death of their loved ones. He didn't want them to be in despair. He didn't want them to give up in following Jesus. He wanted them to keep going in their commitment to follow Christ. To live for Christ. Because they, of the new, the certainty and the comfort of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul wanted these believers and us to have certainty and comfort and commitment in the face of death. Now, we're going to see in a few minutes the the details of what this hope was that Paul describes here in this this beautiful passage. But how could they be sure that all of this would happen? How could they be sure that Jesus really can conquer death? Well, verse 14 tells us, it says, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Do you hear that? Here is the basis of our hope. It is not wishful thinking. It's not a nice myth that just makes us feel a little bit better. Neither is it an outrageous claim that we just need to to blindly accept. The basis of our faith is actually a historical event. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, of course, many of us know that many people ridicule this idea. They claim that that's just simply impossible. Nobody rises from the dead, so Jesus couldn't have risen from the dead. And so they try and explain it all away. Maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross that he just kind of fainted and then was resuscitated later. Or that robbers or the Romans or the Jews or the disciples actually just uh, stole his body from that tomb. Or maybe somebody got the tombs mixed up. They went to the wrong tomb and thought Jesus had risen again. Or perhaps Jesus just rose spiritually or uh, symbolically. But the Bible claims... That the resurrection of Jesus is a historical event that we can examine and that we can verify. It It provides evidence that we can study so that we can prove beyond all reasonable doubt that it actually happened. Now we don't have time to look in detail at all the evidence for that this morning. If you're interested, go and have a look at this, have a chat with me later or whatever. But this includes things like the fulfilled prophecies, the empty tomb, the folded grave clothes, the terrified guards, the impossible or the inability inability of the authorities to provide a body, the unexpected female first witnesses at the tomb, the the hundreds of others who claimed to have seen the risen Lord and whose lives were transformed and who kept on telling people about this even when it cost them their lives. And so with all that evidence, we can know that as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as Paul said, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Folks, this is the life-changing basis of our hope. This is what gives us that confidence, that certainty, that comfort. This is what proves Jesus' true identity. Romans chapter 1 says, He was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. This is also what declares that his payment for our sins was fully accepted. Romans chapter 4 verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And so this is why we can be sure that death is not the end for those who have trusted in Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, By his power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. And so this is why we can have that sure and certain hope this morning. We can be sure that death is not the end for us. Death will not have the final say in our lives. The death and resurrection of Jesus declares that Jesus spoke the truth when he said these amazing words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So do you believe this? Have you put your faith in Jesus as the one who died and rose again on the third day to save you? Do you know the certainty and the comfort of that amazing reality? If not, then you can put your, you can have that hope today. By putting your faith in Jesus, accepting him as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. You can come into the knowledge of your sins forgiven. You can be adopted into God's family and you can be sure that no matter what, nothing will ever separate you from God's love. So Paul wanted these believers to have the certainty and the comfort of hope in the face of death and to be committed to living for Jesus, whatever it cost, because of the resurrection of Christ. But what was this hope really all about? What were the details of it? Well, the basic truth that Paul wanted these believers to know was that verse 15, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul said that this this declaration of truth came from Jesus himself. So we can be absolutely sure of this. We can be completely confident about it. And this is the declaration that those who have trusted in Jesus and then have died will in no way lose out compared with those who are still alive when Jesus returns. These people won't be left behind. They won't be in second place. Yes, they had to go through death. But we don't need to worry about them. We don't need to grieve for them, we can grieve about them because we we miss them, we 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 uh, feel sorry because they're not with us anymore. But we don't need to grieve for them because they will not miss out in any way on the joy of that coming day. But Paul here, he didn't just give this basic truth; he also provided some of the details about how this is all going to work out what's going to happen on that amazing day now of course paul didn't give us all the answers to all the questions that we might have the bible was not written to to satisfy our curiosity and neither was it given to encourage speculation you have know, to, to make up stories about what we think will happen but paul here does give us four four details about what's going to happen on that day that we can be sure of, that we can rejoice in this morning. First of all, there's the return of Jesus. Verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. I don't know about where you live, but some people in our estate have already put up their Christmas tree And the Christmas lights and decorations. I guess they're trying to brighten up these dark evenings as we enter into the the autumn and, and, and the winter. And Christmas is a celebration of Jesus' first coming. But we're encouraged here to look forward to a day when Jesus will come back. This time, not as a helpless little baby born in Bethlehem to take away our sins, but as the conquering Lord, coming to rescue his church. Maybe if you remember, when Jesus ascended into heaven in front of the disciples, they stood gazing up into the sky. But then two angels appeared and stood beside them and said this, Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back again in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So let me talk about the return of Jesus. We're not talking about some kind of vision. We're not talking about some angelic visitation. We're not even talking about somebody else coming back and being like Christ. We're saying that the Son of God, himself, the one who is fully God and fully man, the one who died and rose again, Jesus is coming back from heaven to rescue us. And this is going to be such a momentous day. That it will happen with loud and unmistakable declarations. Verse 16 again, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. These three point to God calling his people to himself. And I think what they emphasize is that if we have trusted in Jesus, it's a day that we're not going to miss. It's not going to be some kind of secret call that we don't know about, that some people are going to miss who have trusted in Jesus, need to worry about, are we going to miss it? No, it's going to be with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you're not going to miss that day. And when that happens, secondly, there will be a resurrection. Verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. These are the believers who have fallen asleep. They have died. Their bodies were buried or cremated. They have decayed, have been destroyed. Now since that time they have been living with the the Lord. That's what Paul said later in this letter, chapter five, verse 10, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So let's get this clear. This is the reality of those who die with Christ, in Christ. There is not a soul sleep as some groups teach. You know that they're not unconsciously waiting for Jesus to come back in. When somebody dies, they don't go to sleep and wait for for to be woken up again. When somebody dies who trust who's trusted in Jesus, they go to be with the Lord right now. They are alive with Christ today. Paul knew that for him, for death, that death meant to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And for Paul, he described that as better by far. But on the day that Jesus returns, he will resurrect those bodies, the bodies of those who have died trusting in Jesus. And he will give them not another weak body, then it will be subject to pain and sickness and suffering and death. But a glorious body that will live forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52 says, The dead will be raised imperishable with a body that will never perish or decay or grow old or wear out. This is the resurrection. So there's the return, the resurrection, and then after that will come the rapture. Now the word rapture comes from the Latin word, which simply means caught up. And it comes here from verse 17. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Now we've probably seen adverts for exercise equipment, or for gyms, or for a training program where you see a before and after picture of somebody who's gone through that program or who's bought the equipment. You know, we're supposed to believe that if we sign up or if we pay up, then we too can go from an embarrassed uh, weakling to a confident muscle machine. Now, of course, if we have any sense... We'll know that that doesn't happen overnight. Even if it's possible, and for some of us sometimes we think it's probably not possible, but even if it was possible, it would take a great deal of time and effort in order to get that transformation. But on this day, when Jesus returns, those who have trusted in Jesus and are still alive, will be caught up, will be raptured, and will be instantly transformed. An instant transformation will take place. Their weak, natural, earthly bodies that are subject to all of the struggles and all of the, the difficulties and all of the pain and suffering in this world, they will be instantly changed. To be like the glorious resurrection bodies of those who have died in Christ. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Not a slow process, not a, a difficult transformation, but an instant transformation in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. And then together, both the resurrected and the transformed will be caught up together in the clouds. No believer in Jesus will be left behind. Nobody who's put their faith in Jesus will lose out. Everyone who has trusted in Jesus will be caught up together in the clouds. Now, why in the clouds? Well, maybe Paul here is just telling us where this is going to happen. It's going to happen in the sky. But maybe Paul's also mentioning in the clouds for another reason. Throughout the Bible, clouds were always associated with the presence of God. Maybe you could think about The pillar of cloud that led Israel through the wilderness for those 40 years. Or the the thick cloud that covered Mount Sinai when Moses got the Ten Commandments. Or the cloud that came down on the tent of meeting, the, the tabernacle when God spoke to Moses. Or the cloud that enveloped the disciples when God spoke to them on the Mount of Transfiguration. Or indeed the cloud that hit Jesus. From the disciples when he ascended into heaven. Clouds always in the Bible throughout those 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 passages point to the presence of God. And I think this points to why this day is just so amazing. It's because this is the day not just of the return, not just of the resurrection, not just of the rapture. It is the day of reunion. All of us who have trusted in Jesus... We'll be caught up together, verse 17 again, to meet the Lord in the air. For now, today, we're here because we believe in Jesus. Even although we haven't seen him, we trust that by his Holy Spirit, he is with us. We trust in the presence of God in our lives even although it can be sometimes really difficult to hold on to this truth. But on that day, on that day, we will see Jesus face to face. We'll no longer struggle with doubt or loneliness or despair or low self-worth or sin we'll see the one who loved us and who gave himself up for us and we will be like him I don't know about you but I think this is the day that we're longing for this is the day that our hearts ache for that, that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 that we groan for we say yes Lord come But you know, even more amazingly, this is the day that Jesus is longing for. This is the day that he aches for. Before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed this in John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Jesus is longing for that day when we will be with him in in an absolute reality and we will see him face to face and we will share in his glory. That is his heart's desire because he loves us so much. And if all of that is not amazing enough, And Paul reminds us in verse 17 again that this reunion will never end. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Nothing will separate us from him. Nothing will ever distance us from him. Nothing will ever get in the way of our relationship, our our fellowship with the Lord ever again. We will experience eternity with Jesus. So no wonder Paul concluded this passage with saying, verse 18, Encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other. Say to each other, Why worry about those who have died in Christ? Or why get tempted with the attractions of this world? Or why just live for ourselves and for a comfortable life of ease and prosperity? Guys, our future is guaranteed and it's glorious. We are looking forward to the day of the return of Jesus. The resurrection of those who have died in Christ. The rapture of all of God's people. And our reunion with the Lord. And our Saviour. A reunion that will last forever. This is our sure and certain hope. Guaranteed by the empty tomb. So let's encourage each other. To live in the reality of that coming day, even as we're living in this dying, troubled, difficult, hard life, in this dying world. Let's comfort our hearts when we grieve for those that we've lost. Let's lay down our lives as a living sacrifice for Christ. But let's also devote our lives to sharing the glorious gospel of Jesus with others in this world who have not heard the message of hope yet, who don't know Jesus, who don't have this sure and certain hope, so that they too could share in that glorious day when Jesus comes back again for his church. Let's pray. Father God, we really thank you. We thank you for this amazing passage, Lord. That teaches us that someday soon, you're coming back again. That Jesus will return for his people, Lord. Of course, we don't know when that will happen, but we we are celebrating, Lord, that, that, that return today. The reality of that. Because whether we are still alive or whether we have died before that happens, we know that we will either be resurrected and or be raptured and caught up together to be with Jesus. To be reunited with him, Lord. To have that face-to-face encounter with him. And to be transformed, to be like him. Because we'll see him face-to-face. Lord, we just pray that, that that sure and that certain hope will fill our hearts this, this morning, will comfort us, will give us certainty even in this uncertain time in, in all of our lives, that will comfort our hearts even at times of grief and bereavement. But will also give us renewed commitment to live for Jesus with every day that you give us. That we will go with freedom and with passion, with confidence, to live every day for Jesus. And to share this glorious gospel that you have entrusted into our hands. The message of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. So that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, I pray that you would take these words and you would impress them on our hearts. And you would inspire us in our life. And you would empower us and equip us to live in the reality and the freedom and the joy of this truth each day for your honour and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.